Section 27 of Why Frau Frohmann Raised Her Prices and Other Stories. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Telegraph Girl by Antony Trollope. Chapter 2. Abraham Hall. As there was no immediate repetition of the offence, the forgiveness soon became complete, and Lucy found the interest of her life in her endeavours to be good to this weak child whom chance had thrown in her way. For Sophie Wilson was but a weak child. She was full of Alec Murray for a while, and induced Lucy to make the young man's acquaintance. The lad was earning twelve shillings a week, and if these two poor young creatures chose to love each other, and get themselves married, it would be respectable, though it might be unfortunate. It would at any rate be the way of the world, and was a natural combination with which she would have no right to interfere. But she found that Alec was a mere boy, and with no idea beyond the enjoyment of a bright scarf and a penny cigar, with a girl by his side at a music-hall. "'I don't think it can be worth your while to go much out of your way for his sake,' said Lucy. "'Who is going out of her way? Not I. He's as good as anybody else, I suppose. And one must have somebody to talk to sometimes.' These last words she uttered so plaintively, showing so plainly that she was unable to endure the simple, unchanging dullness of a life of labour, that Lucy's heart was thoroughly softened towards her. She had the great gift of being not the less able to sympathise with the weakness of the weak because of her own abnormal strength. And so it came to pass that she worked for her friend, stitching and mending, when the girl ought to have stitched and mended for herself, reading to her, even though but little of what was read might be understood, yielding to her and assisting her in all things, till at last it came to pass that in truth she loved her. And such love and care were much wanted, for the elder girl soon found that the younger was weak in health as well as weak in spirit. There were days on which she could not, or at any rate did not, go to her office. When six months had passed by, Lucy had not once been absent since she had begun her new life. "'Have you seen the man who has come to look at our house?' asked Sophie one day, as they were walking down to the office. Lucy had seen a strange man, having met him on the stairs. "'Isn't he a fine fellow?' "'For anything that I know, let us hope that he is very fine,' said Lucy, laughing. "'He's about as handsome a chap as I think I ever saw.' As for being a chap the man I saw must be near forty. He is a little old, I should say, but not near that. I don't think he can have a wife, or he wouldn't come here. He's an engineer, and he has the care of a steam-engine in the city road, that great printing-place. His name is Abraham Hall, and he's earning three or four pounds a week. A man like that ought to have a wife. How did you learn all about him? It's all true. Sally heard it from Mrs. Green. Mrs. Green was the keeper of the lodging-house, and Sally was the maid. I couldn't help speaking to him yesterday, because we were both at the door together. He talked just like a gentleman, although he was all smutty and greasy. I am glad he talked like a gentleman. I told him we lodged here, and that we were telegraph girls, and that we never got home till half-past eight. He would be just the beau for you, because he is such a big, steady-looking fellow." "'I don't want a beau,' said Lucy angrily. "'Then I shall take him for myself,' said Sophie, as she entered the office. 
Soon after that it came to pass that there did arise a slight acquaintance between both the girls and Abraham Hall, partly from the fact of their near neighbourhood, partly because from some little tricks on Sophie's part. But the man seemed to be so steady, so solid, so little given to lightness of flirtation, or to dangerous delights, that Lucy was inclined to welcome the accident. When she saw him on a Sunday morning free from the soil of his work, she could perceive that he was still a young man, probably not much over thirty, but there was a look about him as though he were well inured to the cares of the world, such as is often produced by the possession of a wife and family, not a look of depression by any means, but seeming to betoken an appreciation of the seriousness of life. From all this Lucy unconsciously accepted an idea of security in the man, feeling that it might be pleasant to have some strong one near her, from whom, in case of need, assistance might be asked without fear. For this man was tall and broad and powerful, and seemed to Lucy's eyes to be a very pillar of strength, when he would stand still for a moment to greet her in the streets. But poor Sophie, who had so graciously offered the man to her friend at the beginning of their intercourse, seemed soon to change her mind and to desire his attention for herself. He was certainly much more worthy than Alec Murray. But to Lucy, to whom it was a rule of life as strong as any in the commandments, that a girl should not throw herself at a man, but should be sought by him, it was a painful thing to see how many of poor Sophie's much-needed sixpences were now spent in little articles of finery, by which it was hoped that Mr. Hall's eyes might be gratified, and how those glossy ringlets were brushed and made to shine with pomatum, and how the little collars were washed and rewashed, and starched and restarched, in order that she might be smart for him. Lucy, who was always neat, endeavoured to become browner and browner. This she did by way of reproach and condemnation, not at all surmising that Mr. Hall might possibly prefer a good solid wearing colour to glittering blue and pink gewgaws. At this time Sophie was always full of what Mr. Hall had last said to her, and after a while broached an idea that he was some gentleman in disguise. "'Why in disguise? Why not a gentleman not in disguise?' asked Lucy, who had her own ideas, perhaps a little exaggerated, as to nature's gentleman. Then Sophie explained herself. A gentleman, a real gentleman, in disguise would be very interesting. One who had quarrelled with his father, perhaps, because he could not endure paternal tyranny, and had then determined to earn his own bread till he might happily come into the family honours and property in a year or two. Perhaps, instead of being Abraham Hall, he was in reality the right honourable Russell Howard Cavendish, and if, during his temporary abeyance, he should prove his thorough emancipation from the thraldom of his aristocracy by falling in love with a telegraph girl, how fine it would be! When Lucy expressed an opinion that Mr. Hall might be a very fine fellow, though he were fulfilling no more than the normal condition of his life at the present moment, Sophie would not be contented, declaring that her friend, with all her reading, knew nothing of poetry. In this way they talked very frequently about Abraham Hall, till Lucy would often feel that such talking was indecorous. Then she would be silent for a while herself, and rebuke the other girl for her constant mention of the man's name. Then again she would be brought back to the subject, 
for in all the little intercourse which took place between them and the man his conduct was so simple and yet so civil that she could not really feel him to be unworthy of a place in her thoughts but sophie soon declared frankly to her friend that she was absolutely in love with the man you wouldn't have him you know she said when lucy scolded her for the avowal have him how could you bring herself to talk in such a way about a man what does he want of either of us men do marry you know sometimes said sophie and i don't know how a young man is to get a wife unless some girl will show that she is fond of him he should show first that he is fond of her that's all very well for talky-talky said sophie but it doesn't do for practice men are awfully shy and then though they do marry sometimes they don't want to get married particularly not as we do it comes like an accident but how is a man to fall into a pit if there's no pit open in answer to this lucy used many arguments and much scolding but to very little effect that the other girl should have thought so much about it and be so ready with her arguments was horrid to her a pit open ejaculated lucy i would rather never speak to a man again than regard myself in such a light sophie said that all that might be very well but declared that it would not wash the elder girl was so much shocked by all this that there came upon her gradually a feeling of doubt whether their joint life could be continued sophie declared her purpose openly of entrapping abraham hall into a marriage and had absolutely induced him to take her to the theatre he had asked lucy to join them but she had sternly refused basing her refusal on her inability to bear the expense when he offered to give her the treat she told him with simple gravity that nothing would induce her to accept such a favour from any man who was not either a very old friend or a near relation when she said this he so looked at her that she was sure that he approved of her resolve he did not say a word to press her but he took sophie wilson and as lucy knew paid for sophie's ticket all this displeased lucy so much that she began to think whether there must not be a separation she could not continue to live on terms of affectionate friendship with a girl whose conduct she so strongly disapproved but then again though she could not restrain the poor light thing altogether she did restrain her in some degree she was doing some good by her companionship and then if it really was in the man's mind to marry the girl that certainly would be a good thing for the girl with such a husband she would be steady enough she was quite sure that the idea of preparing a pit for such a one as abraham hall must be absurd but sophie was pretty and clever and if married would at any rate love her husband lucy thought she had heard that steady severe thoughtful men were apt to attach themselves to women of the butterfly order she did not like the way in which sophie was doing this but then who was she that she should be a judge if abraham hall liked it would not that be much more to the purpose therefore she resolved that there should be no separation at present and if possible no quarrelling but soon it came to pass that there was another very solid reason against separation Sophie, who was often unwell, and would sometimes stay away from the office for a day or two on the score of ill health, though by doing so she lost one of her three shillings on each such day, gradually became worse. 
The superintendent at her department had declared that in case of further absence a medical certificate must be sent, and the doctor attached to the office had called upon her. He had looked grave, had declared that she wanted considerable care, had then gone so far as to recommend rest, which meant absence from work, for at least a fortnight, and ordered her medicine. This, of course, meant the loss of a third of her wages. In such circumstances, and at such a time, it was not likely that Lucy should think of separation. While Sophie was ill, Abraham Hall often came to the door to inquire after her health, so often that Lucy almost thought that her friend had succeeded. The man seemed to be sympathetic and anxious, and would hardly have inquired with so much solicitude had he not really been anxious as to poor Sophie's health. Then, when Sophie was better, he would come in to see her, and the girl would deck herself out with some little ribbon, and would have her collar always starched and ironed, ready for his reception. It certainly did seem to Lucy that the man was becoming fond of her foolish little friend. During this period Lucy, of course, had to go to the office alone, leaving Sophie to the care of the lodging-house keeper. And, in her solitude, troubles were heavy on her. In the first place Sophie's illness had created certain necessarily increased expenses, and at the same time their joint incomes had been diminished by one shilling a week out of six. Lucy was in general matters allowed to be the dispenser of the money, but on occasion the other girl would assert her rights, which always meant her right to some indulgence out of their joint incomes which would be an indulgence to her and her alone. Even those bright ribbons could not be had for nothing. Lucy wanted no bright ribbons. When they were fairly prosperous she had not grudged some little expenditure in this direction. She had told herself that young girls liked to be bright in the eyes of men, and that she had no right even to endeavour to make her friend look at all these things with her eyes. She even confessed to herself some deficiency on her own part, some want of womanliness, in that she did not aspire to be attractive still owning to herself, vehemently declaring to herself, that to be attractive in the eyes of a man whom she could love would of all delights be the most delightful. Thinking of all this, she had endeavoured not to be angry with poor Sophie, but when she became pinched for shillings and sixpences, and to feel doubtful whether at the end of each fortnight there would be money to pay Mrs. Green for lodgings and coal, then her heart became sad within her, and she told herself that Sophie, though she was ill, ought to be more careful. And there was another trouble which for a while was very grievous. Telegraphy is an art not yet perfected among us, and is still subject to many changes. Now it was the case at this time that the pundits of the office were in favour of a system of communicating messages by ear instead of by eye. The little dots and pricks, which even in Lucy's time had been changed more than once, had quickly become familiar to her. No one could read and use her telegraphic literature more rapidly or correctly than Lucy Graham. But now that this system of little tinkling sounds was coming up, a system which seemed to be very pleasant to those females who were gifted with musical aptitudes, she found herself to be less quick, less expert, less useful than her neighbours. This was very sad, for she had always been buoyed up by an unconscious conviction of her own superior intelligence. And then, though there had been neither promises nor threats, 
she had become aware at any rate had thought that she was aware that those girls who could catch and use the tinkling sounds would rise more quickly to higher pay than the less gifted ones she had struggled therefore to overcome the difficulty she had endeavoured to force her ears to do that which her ears were not capable of accomplishing she had failed and to-day had owned to herself that she must fail but sophie had been one of the first to catch the tinkling sounds lucy came back to her room sad and down at heart and full of troubles she had a long task of needlework before her which had been put by for a while through causes consequent on sophie's illness now she is better perhaps you will marry her and take her away and i shall be alone again she said to herself as though declaring that such a state of things would be a relief to her and almost a happiness he has just been here said sophie to her as soon as she entered the room sophie was painfully cruelly smart clean and starched and shining about her looks so prepared that as lucy thought she must have evidently expected him well and what did he say he has not said much yet but it was very good of him to come and see me and he was looking so handsome he is going out somewhere this evening to some political meeting with two or three other men and he was got up quite like a gentleman i do like to see him look like that i always think a working man looks best in his working clothes said lucy there's some truth about him then when he gets into a black coat he is pretending to be something else but everybody can see the difference there was a severity almost a savageness in this which surprised sophie so much that at first she hardly knew how to answer it he is going to speak at the meeting she said after a pause and of course he had to make himself tidy he told me all that he is going to say should you not like to hear him speak no said lucy very sharply setting to work instantly upon her labours not giving herself a moment for preparation or a moment for rest why should she like to hear a man speak who would condescend to love so empty and so vain a thing as that then she became gradually ashamed of her own feelings yes she said i think i should like to hear him speak only if i were not quite so tired mr hall is a man of good sense and well educated and i think i should like to hear him speak i should like to hear him say one thing i know said sophie then lucy in her rage tore asunder some fragment of a garment on which she was working End of chapter two